0: Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers by writers to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. I'm LP.
1: And I'm Will.
0: And we got a full house, boys. How's everybody doing? We're here for 101. We survived 100. <laughs> Almost four years we've been doing this.
2: And like, it still blows my mind that we have 100 episodes.
0: and And we're still going. And that's important, I think.
2: Like, are we that entertaining?
0: I don't know. People are listening, so that's something I have to to ask myself. That. (laughs) Uh, So before we get rolling, uh, I want to say one big congrats to one LP Kindred who is with us this evening, and uh, I want to welcome him officially to the podcast as a co-host. Woo!
2: Woo! Very excited to be here.
1: Very, very cool. Speech. How does it feel? uh,
3: I mean, it feels like when I show up and talk shit as a guest, except that you expect me every time. So that's, I mean, what could be better?
0: That's about right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That is about right. Um, (laughs) Well, welcome. Uh, We we love having you, and everybody's here tonight. This is going to be awesome. We're going to get into the uh, Charlie Jane Anders book again. But before we get to that, um, if you are just joining us and- since we have hundred episodes, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash just keep writing. I just got to throw that out there every once in a while. If you want to give us a couple bucks, you get early access to the show and, um, and discord and all kinds of little perks. So definitely check it out and support us. We would love that. Um, but before we get, I'm going to pass it off to will, uh, in a minute. But before we get to that, Nick, I think we have an announcement. You have an announcement. We do have an announcement. Uh, so,
2: Surprise, uh as of November 8th here, uh the project that Brent and I worked on uh for a shared world anthology came out today. Woo! Woo. Uh, didn't didn't know about it until it came out and they announced it over Instagram and stuff like that. Uh, but it's one Brent and I worked together uh with Dan Evanson. Um, who's in our Discord, he's a listener. We've met him on the Writing Excuses retreats before, but he did a shared world anthology and had us kind of build his God system there and, his, and the deities there. So we've worked on that for quite some time, but now it's kind of kind of cool to see that those labors come to fruition, at least for me, because it's my first technical publication as a contributor on something. So I'm pretty excited for it. Brent, how do you feel about it?
4: It's cool. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, anyone that like follows me to any degree knows I like world building. That's like my, like my bread and butter. So this was like, you know, uh, I ain't gonna say easy because it's never easy, but it's like, you know, this was fun. It was like a lot of fun to be able to just kind of like be asked to build something and step back and let everybody else play with it. That's kind of cool.
3: Yeah. It's. Are excited to read the stories in it?
4: Oh hell yeah! Because it'd be fun to see like what people took um, with what me and it came up with and run with it. I think that'd be really cool. So yeah, no, I'm definitely excited to see what um what was created.
2: We'll oh, cool. uh, drop a link in the show notes too, so you guys can check it out. What's you the title? Unlimited. Who? Free the title. The world of Juno.
4: World of Juno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was the um yeah. Wasn't his intention for it to be like a Sander Sanderson esque type uh
2: yeah he he really wants to go to like a cosmic like sanderson type um and a lot of it it, it's it is in honor of his wife as well who passed away a few years back and he kind of started this project in remembrance of her so it's a very big project for him and very emotional so i'm glad to see it come to life um on that and see what else comes from it as
4: well yeah no i I think definitely i mean It'd be nice to see some more out of it, you know, to see maybe a second anthology or a book or short stories, whatever.
0: Cool. Marshall, back to you. Okay. So definitely check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes and that is going to be awesome. Will, I'm going to throw it to you. We are talking section three of Charlie Jane Anders' book, Never Say You Can't Survive.
1: We are. But before we do that, we should congratulate Brent on being a guest of honor at MoCon next year.
0: Oh, Oh, shit, we forgot. Ah, Yeah. Yeah,
4: Yeah, no, I'm super, I'm super excited about that. Uh, I mean, obviously, like Maurice is like, uh, is just like a pillar of like black speculative fiction. And so, like, to like have him just like want to honor me and Devon and LD in that way is just really, really cool. And uh, I don't know, for me, it's very humbling because, like, Maurice has just been nothing but, like, kind and just outreaching to me. And, like, just, you know, he, he told I, – I, I still will never forget, like, the thing he told me at um, Worldcon last year. And, like, and if anything, uh, anything good comes out of, you know, my labors this year, I think it will be in a lot of ways because of what he said to me at the end of last year. So – yeah, so I'm really stoked about it.
1: That's awesome. going to
3: Mokan, Huh? Is anybody going to MoCon besides Brent? Yeah, of
1: course. I am.
2: Uh, I'm planning on it. Uh, might be working my little magic with uh, Maurice to see if we can do something special there. Uh, on my end here, uh, <laughs> I'll leave that a secret for now. Um, but yeah, MoCon's going to be exciting.
0: Well, I'm, I, I missed it th- a few years ago, so I'm really hoping, really hoping to be able to go now that it's gone. I just, you know, I'm close.
2: And I, I, we'll I mean, MoCon is one of those cons where I feel like everyone is welcome. Maurice is such a gracious host and brings on the right people to keep everything there. Like, it's a very safe place to be. Um, and if it's your first con, it's a great one to be at. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So congratulations, Brent. That's super exciting. Thank you. I can't wait for next year when we're all there, and it'll be a great time had by all.
4: Yeah, yeah. And we'll see what what my uh, GOH duties entail. But yeah, it'll be fun.
1: That's amazing. Congrats. So now we'll get into Charlie Jane's book, Never Say You Can't Survive. We're going to start off with Section 3 on this episode, and the first part is Chapter 12. And it's called Hold On To Your Anger. It's a storytelling goldmine. So I think um, how I'm going to moderate this episode, it's really just going to be questions for everyone based on this, on each kind of subsection and section. Um so and not three words everyone okay there's no three words (laughs) so i was already preparing words in my head just in case just slow your roll (laughs) slow your fucking roll okay that's not what we're doing today so
2: i'll believe it when i hear it
1: (laughs) okay well buckle up bitch um so (laughs) i guess i when i um you know there is a quote in there you know that um Charlie Jane talks about when she talks about Yoda and how Yoda said, you know, anger uh, leads to hate, hate leads to the dark side. And she goes, anger fuels everything that's good. Comedians are angry and you get the funniest stuff. You can use your anger as um, a way to write really uh, great storytelling. So first I want to ask who wants to go first with the first question? Bren. Um, how have you used anger as a means to fuel your story?
4: Okay. So um so this uh the story I wrote for Beneath Lee's disguise, uh Faithful Delirium, I think a lot of people picked up on, you know, the critiques of um religion and fanaticism in it or whatever. And that story definitely came out of a place of being pissed off with the with the Southern Christians I uh, grew up with and, you know, and how they were so, I, I won't miss words, just hateful towards anyone that did not share their um, beliefs. And so I, when I wrote that story, I really, I really wanted, well, that was like the source of it. The core of it was just really addressing that anger and, you know, kind of like saying like, y'all fucked up for ha- having that viewpoint. And this is why or like this is how someone from the outside who you've like hurt and diminished and, you know, demonized. This is how you actually come off to them, not in the way that you think you do. And so that's that's kind of what that whole story revolved around. I think obviously I had to make it a a still a cohesive narrative. It couldn't just be me spewing like, you know, uh, caricatures of like what I think these people were. And. I think that's one of the hardest things about writing, like, from anger. Like, it is a good, it is a source of, uh, it can be a source of really great storytelling, but you have to make sure you still tell a story. And it's not just you ranting and raving about, like, how much, you know, how angry you are about this particular thing. But, yeah, I think that's um, the one, one I could think of for sure that came from an angry-ass place.
1: And we'll put a link into the show notes of the story. And we did cover it in a previous podcast episode as well. Yep. It was really great. Um, LP, talk to me. Um, anger hasn't fueled any of my
3: fiction. It has fueled a chunk of my career. I just don't do well with... Like, like it's right, righteous indignation, right? But like, if I'm on the right side of it, then it works out. Um, but I, I don't have any writing that I can look at and be like, oh... This is because I was mad about this or that or the other thing. Because when I'm angry, I'm not in a place to examine my feelings. Full on, Scorpio. Uh, Happy belated birthday, Will. Uh,
1: Thanks.
3: Like, (laughs) when I'm I'm angry, I'm not in a place to, like, examine my feelings. And so I'm not in a place to be, like, critical of the ire coming out of me. So I think it's best for me to just wait until I cool down and try to write something else. Yeah.
1: So let me unpack that for a minute with you as a fellow Scorpio do you feel like when you're in the moment of being angry over something that you need to step back and take up uh, like process it before you can use that as creative energy
3: not necessarily like I've been depressed the past few weeks and then like something happened uh, someone someone tried to get the comeback and I was like you're not the MVP you don't get to come back and uh, I got angry. And I got angry, and like it pulled me out of my spiral. Uh, So, like, I'm a big believer in using anger as like an engine for things. But I just, I don't think I write anything in anger.
1: Okay, Um, Mark.
3: Maybe I'll try. Maybe that's an
1: exercise. No, maybe. Well, I have an exercise for us um, that for the listeners as well. After we're done this little section, Um, Marshall.
0: Well, I was thinking. the example I've I've used multiple times I've used it on writing excuses and on this show so I'm gonna go away from it obviously I've I've written nonfiction in anger um you know and and I was just trying to think I think right now especially with my current work in progress anger that I have has been char- like personified by like a specific character so I have a character in my work in progress right now who I have have kind of thrown some of that. Um, I don't know. They embody basically what I've kind of been angry at the last couple of years, like with, you know, administration at school and various other things in my life. And so I think that that's kind of where I'm at with that. And then things Charlie Jane said, I don't know if it was this section or the next section, but, um, but like in a specific scene, if the character's angry, Or I wrote a scene today where my character actually had to approach a a person in power and kind of give them information that they knew they'd be pissed off about. And so I I know how I felt in that situation and gotten, and been angry afterwards. So I kind of put myself in that space a little bit. I don't know if that helps or answers your question. I was just trying to go away from um, the typical answer that I have, but I use it periodically i have a really hard time kind of like Opie. i have a hard time writing when i'm angry especially if it's fiction
1: so we're actually i want everyone to hold on to that because we're actually going to touch on about processing anger in a minute but uh we're going to go to nick first nick um have you used anger as a means to fuel your story
2: uh so at first i was going to say no i don't write in anger Then I realized some of my best characters I've written have been fueled by anger. I've created their motivations through anger that I've, I'm experiencing myself.
1: I guess I could write, I could answer my own question. Um, the, uh, do I write from anger? Probably all the time. Um, I'm angry. Most of the time. It's funny. Uh, someone said, but you don't, you don't come across as someone who's an angry person. And I was like, have you seen my artwork? Have you read my um, stories? Um, a painting I'm working on right now is directly about, I'm channeling anger because I'm angry about what happened in Uvalde and the lack of um, the lack of anything happening from The senators and from the governor so i channel my anger through everything um but it also can bring a lot of tenderness also to it because it can sometimes your anger can be protective and charlie jane touches upon this that how every other emotion is connected by anger you know when a mama bear is protecting her children it doesn't come from a place of just you know raw anger, it's coming from a place of protection. So my question, I want to ask LP first, um, as someone who comes from a marginalized community, do you feel like you're um, always told not to be angry or have you experienced that? And do you think sometimes that's the reason why that you don't maybe lead with it in a story?
3: <clears throat> I think uh As a person of, you know, several marginalizations, um, fiction is one of the few places where I don't take, this is going to sound really weird. Fiction is one of the few places where I don't take instruction. Like, obviously, like I've gone to Clarion and I want to be led and I want to figure out how to become a better writer and a stronger writer and figure those things out, right? But like, there are a lot of do's and don'ts that people talk about in fiction. And I'm like, I'm not doing that because this is about the story that I want to tell. This rest of the story that like you, or the way that you, another person I was, I was on Twitter the other day talking about how I'm a denouement slut. And um, I have a story where the denouement comes before the climax of the story. And like, you know, the story is unsettling partly because of that. And I think sometimes people read it and they're like, Oh, you know, this, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Like it, it's really uncomfortable and like, it doesn't end. Yeah, it ends really abruptly and it makes you feel discomfited. And I'm like, that's the story that I want to tell. It's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not a paint by numbers thing. It can't be, it can't always be a formula. It doesn't look like you think a story should look, but that doesn't make it any less, any more, any less, yeah, any less impactful. Right. So like, and in the rest of my life, you know, y'all know I'm kind of like an observational comedian. So like, I just kind of watch the things that people are doing uh pick up on the inconsistencies or hypocrisies, and then make fun of them for it and so like my anger gets a voice <laughs> people know how I feel i don't uh i don't have um i i you know i don't <clears throat> i went to school but like I didn't go into corporate america I didn't go into any like hierarchical structures I went to restaurants where we're all talking shit, and so <laughs> like I've never had to not. I've never had a reason not to say what the fuck I was thinking at any given time. So it, it comes out. I don't hold on to anger because the best thing I can do for me is to make you feel how you made me feel. And then it's outside of me and then you feel shitty. So it's perfect.
1: <laughs> All right, Brent. Um, that's a good that's a good answer, really. I mean, you're coming from experience. Um I do I gotta never, say, I know
0: you're about to throw to Brent, but like the restaurant thing is spot on. I did restaurants for decades and it's, it's insane how like you can go from smiling, standing at the side of a table to going into the back and talking hella shit about the madness that you just had to deal with and, and having a good laugh over it. So
1: anyway. I it's the same with stylists. I just want to say in the salon, <laughs> you know, because, you know, <laughs> I mean, people want to tell me everything. And my sis, my oldest sister has actually picked up on this because she was like, how did you find that out? Because everyone tells me everything. And I was like, I don't know why. Maybe I feel like I have a resting bitch face, but whatever. Um, Brent, so as someone who comes from a marginalized community, a few of them, Multiple. yeah, Do you feel like you have been um, told to, you know, simmer down, keep it together to suppress your anger?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, hell, that's the way a lot of us are raised because our parents know that, you know, we, we don't get to be angry in the way that other people get to be angry. We don't get to, you know, have emotion in the way that other people get emotion and, and even though it comes from a good place, it 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 has um, to this day. It's still something you know. I'm learning to unravel and to to like um, roll back the negative effects of. I guess so. Even in my fiction, I think even in my fiction, and this is something I think you've noticed. Will actually in in um, our talks and interactions where you you would. Call me out and be like, well, why haven't you ever went there with your storytelling? Or why do you avoid this in your storytelling? Or why isn't this something you've touched? And it's you know, and it is a, um, it is like a something that marginalized people are told to do and to uh, to have to keep in check, keep your emotions in check. Don't let them see you get mad. They don't deserve your anger or whatever. And it's like it's not about deserve. Sometimes they get deserve. I mean, they need to get cussed out, but. <laughs> i <laughs> come to that realization like your ass need to get cussed out in this moment but um, also too though I think like the other thing is like realizing that there are you know in marginalization there is hierarchy and there are things that you know some of us are more privileged in and so now I've come to realize like well my light skin ass can go off on you a little more than um, the, the person next to me who's darker skin it may not their anger may not be interpreted that way so I'm not helping those who have less privilege than me by holding back my anger and holding back my emotions. So I've come to that realization too. It's like, well, I'm, I, if, if they can't say it, well, I need to say it. And if I come off like, and if, and if my ang- my anger might be better received than it would from someone else. So I've had that realization too, in the past few years. So, you know, and sometimes it's like, we we think too much of anger as like a, a individual act when actually it, it can be very much, um, uh, uh, you know, a way of standing up for community and standing up for each other. And yeah, so I guess, I don't know. I think I'm rambling now, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's how I've had to deal with and think about anger.
3: And to chime in, if I don't curse you out, who's going to, mm. You've made it this far in your life without being told about yourself. And you obviously right. need it.
4: Right. He, and if you have been told about yourself and you're still doing it, that means you need to get cussed out even more. Look, somebody
3: needs to say it in a way that you're going to hear it this time.
4: Yeah. If you don't get ashamed of it. Well, you- it can be what, Evelyn, every time I see you, it's going to be beef. Every time I see you, because if you're not going to get it, I, I might as well cuss you out every time I see you now.
2: <laughs> this is me. at hey, I- work. Swear I- to God. I was going to say, Evelyn came out your mouth really quick there, Brad. <laughs> <Poor
4: Evelyn. laughs> <laughs> look, I just know from, look, that's just, it, it's going to be beat forever. If you're go, if you not going to learn and you've made it this, <laughs> this far in life and you still want to act up, okay, well, you going to get cut out every time I see you. If you made it
3: this far in life. Because here's the thing. biopsy is a really real thing in the Caribbean. It's the way we talk about home training in the States. Just like, if you don't got no biopsy, if nobody's ever told you about yourself, you're going to walk through your life not getting told about yourself. So I'm going to get the privilege at 40 <laughs> to tell you about where you are, who you are and who I am. And like, that's not my fault. Like I didn't do this to us. I say we should both have a conversation with your mama. So I'm not the one.
1: For reals. Um, Marshall, I want to ask you coming from a marginalized background, the same question about um, suppressing anger and, You know, how does it affect you? But also how does it affect your storytelling? Can you use fiction as a means to not suppress it? Has it been freeing? Talk to me. Uh,
0: I think I'm going to start with the last part of that. Yeah, I think because of some of the more recent, uh, you know, before the last few years, I think I have been a little more free to explore some of those things in my writing. Like I have characters that are dealing with some of the stuff that I've had to deal with, you know um, being um, the only black teacher, for example, in my school district. Right. So every time I get upset, you know, everybody thinks that I'm just, Oh, it's just the angry black guy. It's always that. Right. I, I don't. And so for years and years and years, I made a point of trying to, I don't know, not show like the opposite of what these guys are saying. (laughs) Like I didn't tell people off. I bit my tongue and I've recently been standing up to people and telling them how it is. And I'm okay with that at this point in my life. I'm 43 years old. I'm a grown man at my job. And I'm like, no, you treat me like shit and you don't treat everybody else like this. So here's how it's going to be. I'm not going to keep doing it this way. Um, So I think, I think that's given me a little bit of ammunition for my writing for sure. um, Because I do have characters that are dealing with some of this Um, and stepping into their, their moment, their, you know, their power and saying, Hey, look, I'm going to stand up for my family. I'm going to stand up for my, for my people um, and move forward. So I think, I think, yeah, I think those experiences have been helpful for my writing going forward. My current project for sure. But um, it's also really nice having, these conversations too, because I'm not the only one that feels like they need to tell someone. <laughs> and I'm looking okay, and that and that makes me feel good. So thanks, guys.
1: Anytime. All right. So now we're going to go to the people are only interesting as the relationship section.
3: Wait, aren't you gonna ask Nick about this experience as a white man who is married to a Latina with
2: Latina children?
1: No. Like how this shows up for him? But we could, yeah, sure. Go ahead, Nick. Do you see anything? Yeah.
2: What's the question? <laughs> what is it like? Those that are just what, from a marginalized you, background.
1: Well, do you see as someone who comes from um, a, you know, everything in our society in the states is structured around whiteness, um, and you're the ability to move freely in the world, freer than anyone, and now you're married to a lat um, a Latin woman who has, and you have three Latinx kids. Do you see differences in how you are treated versus how they're treated, and you know how does that affect you?
2: Um, the way you're okay, I like the way you phrase that question. Uh, yes and no. So I live in a state where it is very Latin friendly. There's a lot of Latin communities out here, and so like in that aspect, I don't see that. However, is where we travel outside of the state or our little area. Uh, our little area that we live in, Utah County and Provo and stuff like that. We, I do see a lot of differences. Um, the biggest thing that I'm paying attention to is how, how my kids are treated in school. Just the simple games from, from the games that they play to the reading list to what's expected of them when they come home. So, I mean, I can't say, like, from my background and what I've been through and where I've been able to get to, I know it's going to be a barrier for them. We just haven't crossed that threshold. So, for them, they think it's non existent. They like, we don't, we can't have a conversation about racism yet because they don't understand that people will look at them differently because they're brown. Like, there's, they haven't experienced it yet. And so, it's hard to have those conversations and, and, point that out um all right Uh, so i'll talk about a game that i learned about that my kids play at their school which is something i'm dealing with currently uh but it's a popular game it's called uncle sam it's like red rover red rover Rover, but it's uncle sam uncle sam can i cross your border uncle sam picks his favorite color or whatever color if you're wearing that color you get to cross the border if he tags you you get to go back across the border if you don't if he doesn't tag you you make it across the border. The reason I have a problem with this, because if you go back and do do some small research on this, you'll find, like, this is all about Hispanics crossing the border and who they did allow and who they didn't allow. And Uncle Sam, the represent- representation um, of Uncle Sam, is he was going after Hispanics to send them back. And so this whole situation where my kids think it thinks it's innocent, even trying to explain to them, like, Hey, it's racist. Like that concept doesn't exist. The problem that I have is like, this is a widely known game. Apparently it's on all these mommy blogs, like all these like school blogs and stuff like that. And I'm just like, what? Like you can't come up with the terminology that you're using and how you play this game without understanding the background. And so for me, like, I've got to go fight a school any way that I can to showcase and, and like, help them identify this is bad. You have my three Hispanic kids who are one of four, there are three of four Hispanic kids in school playing this game, asking another white kid if they can cross his border. So, like, those are the subtleties I get to deal with on my end of things. And I always have, I'm always vigilant on it now. Um, I think that's the biggest change since being married to my wife is, like, I have to watch for that stuff because they're not. And they may not notice it. Or my wife might, not, might notice it right away.
1: Will? Does anyone want to ask any questions? <laughs> you know I mean?
0: <laughs> I mean, yes and no.
2: I mean... LP, thanks for bringing that up in the comments, though, because I didn't know if I wanted to touch on that, but, like...
0: No, but that I mean, my I think,
2: experience now.
0: I'm, I'm Nick. I understand. I I hear. I, I'm first of all. I'm really glad that you're fighting the school on this. I think this is something my wife would probably burn the place down over. Um, but honestly, like, I think it's important to recognize those things, and and it's never really too early to start talking to your kids about this stuff because they are going to experience it. and They probably have and haven't noticed it, and. It's probably a good idea um, to have those conversations, and and from a parent perspective too, um, you know, I have um, a trans son, and I'm trying to figure out how to make sure that his needs are met at school as well. You know what I mean? So like, and the bullying and everything. I mean, I've experienced bullying and everything else under the sun, but like not in that exact way. And so now I got to figure out what that looks like. You know what I mean? And that's just part of. That's, that's all stuff that I feel like I can use because I have queer characters in the stories I'm writing. You know what I mean? And I see my children on the page and I want them to see themselves on the page and I want them to see themselves, um, Flying fucking spaceships and shooting aliens and stuff. You know what I mean? All the shit we've been talking about, right, Brent? <laughs> riding, riding dragons. Riding fucking dragons are next, man. I'm I'm writing a space opera at the moment, but dragons are fucking next. But but that but that's my point. You know what I mean? Um. So, I support your fight, Nick. That's kind of all I want to say.
3: I want to throw in that like, or maybe just piggyback or or one up or co-sign that like, it's never too early to start talking about racism with people who can't see it yet because part of the, there's a particular culture in the world. It's a black culture um, that has a really hard time seeing nuance for other black people. Uh, And it can get really precarious sometimes because they're so close to the um, the inventors of racism (laughs) that they don't realize that they're doing the master's bidding um and sometimes we're so close we're we're in such close proximity and like there's this assumption like oh there's everyone's latin here and so we're gonna just assume that like this is the norm and this is the norm everywhere but then you see things like the this uncle sam game which is which is egregious it's it's egregious and like you have to have a conversation as a parent (laughs) with the school system (laughs) about a game that they teach because no one has the critical thinking to think that this is a problem. Now, this shouldn't be the fight that your kids have. I agree with that 100%. Um, but, and it is the fight that you have to have as a parent, but like, it also shouldn't be a fight that you have to have with the school system. So, like, I think it's important for you. I, I think it was important for me to learn that I was not going to get treated in the same ways. My first experience with the racism, I couldn't have been more than four. My sisters were taking me trick-or-treating. There was this house and they, we just watched some kids come down the walk. And as we walked up the walk, the door closed and the, the porch light went off. And we went up to the door and we rang the doorbell, no one answered. And we came back down the walk and we were on the other side of the street sometime later, 10, 15 minutes later, the porch light was on and kids were going and getting candy again. I didn't understand it then. But my sister told me what it was then, and then I learned to watch out for it. So just just plant the seed, and then they'll Jeez. learn to think about how they're, how they're
1: treated. Also, yeah, also too, is, I want to just interject. Um, I feel like this is a problem with America and whiteness. Because people don't want to talk to their kids about racism because it quote unquote hasn't affected them yet. And on a personal end, I remember being six years old and learning about Harriet Tubman and slavery. And I grew up in a um, predominantly black neighborhood and I remember looking at my dad and asking him and saying, Poppy, is this really real? Or was it in a movie? And looking back now, I can see my dad's face. And I recognize it as now as he was like, how am I going to explain this to my son who literally has no idea? You know, that these things are like this. And my dad, you know, my parents weren't really the best parents in a lot of ways, but in this way, he was the best. He flat out told me the truth. He said, yes, this happened here. And he told me, my friend Tisha, who I was best friends with ever since I was little, still am, um, that we would never have been allowed to be friends if it happened during slavery. I would not be allowed to talk to her. That even thirty years ago, you know, uh, from that point, I wouldn't. They would even have to be in a different line, go to a different bathroom, and I cried because I had a hard time understanding it. But just because something is complex doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it with children. That means we actually should talk to it about it with children. Because what it does do, and what I feel like it did for me, is it gave me a great more empathy towards people who didn't look like me. And it unfortunately also prepared me of when my dad would have to pick me up from school, and because my dad is so dark, and I am so light, and I don't look like him, that they fingerprinted him when he picked me up from school. Fingerprinted him. Even when I was running towards him. So, I want to interconnect this with storytelling. It's those moments, right, that we can really use that as like an anger and transform it into something like world-building. And, you know, a lot of times I remember this one quote, it was we tell lies to tell the truth. Sometimes when things aren't so blatant, blatantly in a reader's point of view, um, we can use magic or a magic system or a sci-fi world to help people maybe empathize and to think about what's going on in our own world. So I'm glad um, LP made us ask the question because I, I wasn't going to ask Nick. I was really trying to ask it from like, just you guys as a marginalized point of view. And I just, you know, and skip me and Nick. I wasn't even going to think of it, but I'm glad that we did because it led to a deeper and more nuanced um, question, an answer, an a- event. So I thank yay to everyone for talking about this. I think this is hard.
2: Well, are you going to answer your own question well uh, on this one? Or I was no?
1: not. No. I mean, what what can I answer? I don't know about being. I mean,
2: you're talking. You're from a marginalized background as well. You come from a Latinx community. I mean, your intersectionality is very intersected, if you will. You come from a marginalized background too, so don't ignore that. Uh, You have you you do have an input if you want to answer.
3: Also, it's important because I find that a lot of people don't feel like they, they. sometimes our light-skinned folks can feel like they, they shouldn't take up space when we sometimes need them to take up space. And especially in the situation where you're light-skinned, sometimes people might assume that you're white because of your skin. Um, You know, you might be giving space for someone else to think about themselves in this context. You just talked about your father who's so much darker and he was mistreated when he came to pick you up. And I'm like, that's a very lightning experience. And like one that I'd love to hear more about if that's what you want to talk about.
1: I mean, I, it has a lot of complex emotions for me. Um, It has a lot of complex emotions because you know, when you're a kid, this makes me laugh because I just feel like sometimes I had the, it was like opposite world when I grew up. Like, I remember my mom coming into the bathroom and I had that scrubbing brush that you use to scrub floors and I was scrubbing my skin cuz I had freckles, right? And I and my mom was like, you know, she's like she's like, "Papa, what are you doing?" I'm, I'm like, "I'm trying to scrub the freckles off so I look more like you and Poppy." And um she was like, "What?" Because all my sisters have dark hair, dark eyes, and are olive-complected or really, really super dark. Um, my dad is dark. My mom's olive-complected, dark hair, dark eyes. And, like, here I was. I was this kid who, like, had um, snow-white alabaster skin. <laughs> I had, like, ginger red hair, and my eyes, like, glue in the dark. Like, they used to call me glowworm growing up in the hood. So, like, there's all these funny little things. I mean... I, I, I don't know. I don't know really. I think I definitely had to not be angry when it came to being gay. I definitely was made to be like, don't make a big deal about it. When Michael would be there and they would introduce Michael as my friend or, um, when we would go out and, um, or to a wedding uh there'd be times that like in certain family instances we wouldn't be able to dance together and that to me was just and i was young when that happened like i was like 18 cuz eventually i was like oh fuck no this is the person this is my person i don't fucking care i'll fight you all um <laughs> those are the times i don't i don't really have many regrets and those are the times that i regret because two things I should have just let Michael love me. And um, I should have led with love. Because when you lead with love, sometimes that breaks barriers, you know? And eventually, because I was so brazen and I was like, no, like, I didn't care. I would hold Michael's hand. I would be affectionate. it actually then started to make my outside family, not so much my sisters, because they were always supportive. melt and actually understand. So but my anger I usually had to hold down. And then, you know, it came about in other ways. So it's so all I'm gonna touch upon there. I'll touch upon the gay thing. The Latinx thing is more complex and like for a whole episode. Um but moving on, I mean this episode has really been about like channeling anger, which I feel like is useful. I think a lot of times we all try to suppress it. Questions, comments before I move on.
0: Um, I have one thing I want to add to something we said earlier. Um, I think the flip side too. I've talked to grown adults from marginalized communities that live in the same town as me that think they've never experienced racism. And that conversation is really, really interesting. So my this goes back to why we need to have these conversations early and and often and recognize these things because even when I was telling my story, even when I'm saying what I've dealt with in that exact town, they couldn't believe me because they had never experienced it. And so that that to me was made me angry because they invalidated where I was coming from across the board. Like they couldn't believe me because this town would never do that. Well, or this place would never do that.
1: I, correct me if I'm wrong. And then Nick can go cause he had his hand up. Um, yeah. That uh, gentleman was Hispanic, correct?
0: No, this, well, there was one Hispanic guy and there were, to um, Native American oh, ladies.
1: Okay, so this is then anti Blackness. Well, sure. Absolutely. Right? In this context, so, yes. Yeah, so like I think even being in a Latin community, there is a mm. lot of anti Blackness, mm. you know, yeah. and I think that really definitely needs to be talked upon on and like any other type of marginalized community, you know, like there is an anti-blackness movement, you know, and that's, that's what that is. So what is infuriating when you tell that story is they're not black. Right. Like, I'm sorry. They're, they're, they're going to have, and correct me if I'm wrong. You could just be like, no, Will, you're wrong. But the way I looked at it, like you're Hispanic, which yes, you, um, might not see the racism you're native american you might not see it because no one would do that in the town but then what you're also saying is that i'm above you Mm. when you don't believe someone's journey and that is completely anti-black
0: and not only that i taught their children i've been a teacher in this district forever i've taught i've helped their children deal with racism so i know it's uh, not on you know what i'm saying like it's like this this barrier they can't get past in their mind because they don't want to believe that about their community, you know, when it actually, when it absolutely exists, which I think is really interesting and infuriating at the same time. Anyway, Nick, sorry, buddy.
2: No, you're good. Uh, I actually wanted to highlight that though, uh, from a tweet from Nia at Davenport. Um, oh. Cause she brought this up and I was like, this is something I don't look at because I am white, but it's something I'm trying to be better about. But like, her tweet is about um the condition of white supremacy on the black community. Where it has, like in this case, Marshall, people second guessing micro and macro aggressions and questioning, did I just really experience that? No, it's 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 me, not them. When reality is it's just a conditioning thing. Um which I'm currently fighting that now with my own kids. Uh, so yeah. it's like it's a very real thing, and I don't think I, I, yeah. Speaking of anger, that's what drives my anger currently.
0: <laughs> I can see that.
2: I want to jump in real quick
3: again. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's a mm, there's an oppression Olympics aspects of this, where like, on one side, you know, everybody wants to have it the worst so they can say have a, a foot to stand on in a conversation about who has it worse, but nobody wants to be at the very bottom because everyone needs someone to shit on. Everyone needs someone to step on to get a little higher. Um, And when we think about the States, you know, you know, we, we have conversations about like Asian people as model minorities, but like also, you know, there are, there were laws that disallowed Chinese people from owning land or marrying white women. So they could never own land. Uh, There were internment camps, Japanese internment camps in California, you know, like, Model minority, in my ass, right? But the thing is that, like, if you're not critical, you can use the master's tools to propagate the same white supremacy that oppresses you. You can ignore it. I, my ex is European and he's a white guy, but his three best friends are biracial black people. Um and like two of them like I've never experienced racism and it's not a matter in my opinion of them never having experienced racism it's them being so acculturated to it at this point that they don't they they don't acknowledge it they've been taught not to acknowledge it in their families they've been taught not to acknowledge it in their communities and so when it happens they just assume that it's something else they've figured out how to rationalize it away and so this is another part of why I'm like talk to kids early and often about racism, because the sooner they're able to look critically at situations and say, look, that's not right. The sooner they'll be able to advocate for themselves and have more agency. Um, And in the case of like, you know, a Latina person and a native person telling you like, Oh, that couldn't be, I know this community. It's like, you know, I was there for you. I was there for your kid when they were going through things and will continue to be there for your kids. And it, it's wild that, like, it's wild that when I tell you about things, rather than solidarity, rather than acknowledging, like, obviously that could happen. Because the real conversation is, like, you sit in their face, tell them what happened. They said that couldn't happen. It was like, so you think I'm a liar because of your experiences, not because of mine? So, yeah, I would have gone off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which Um I did my, my, I did was, my own way,
0: Opie. Promise. Promise.
3: Uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> uh, look. And look, there's a there's a time and a place for everything. So, like, I don't know if like me going off in that situation would have been good for for you or them, right? So, right. like, applaud you on your your um, discernment. Uh, but yeah, that's that's infuriating.
0: Yeah, but well, I gotta say, it has helped my writing. Because <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring it back. It has helped my yes. writing for sure.
1: All right. Well, you know, for once, I'm going to be Father Time, and I feel like <laughs> if I delve any more into section three, we are going to be like way long in the episode and we covered things and talked about things. I, well, you know, who knew how, where this was going to go. This is kind of why I started asking these questions. So, um, with that, I only asked one question.
0: <laughs> how many questions do you have? I think you <laughs> had one question. That's insane that we yeah. went the entire um, I had, time. I, I love had it.
1: a lot because there's so many great things in this section about, um, feelings are valid and things that you can do and for your characters. But I think, I think what we should do is this was one chapter of section three about your feelings are valid. So um, everyone needs to pick up the book because there's so many more good things in this chapter. But the reason I kind of really had asked that one question Maybe two questions I asked um, was because in our world, we are taught that anger isn't always good and we should suppress it. And especially if you're coming from a marginalized background, it's always like, wait your turn, calm down. And to Brent's point that also you couldn't um, express it in the same way that someone who's like cisgendered white male or cisgendered white woman. Um so does anyone have any final thoughts about our discussion?
3: I think it's important if you are a person who fuels your writing with anger to do that and use that to channel if you need to channel it that way. I think it's also important to infuse your writing with not anger uh, if, if, if that's the way. That, that's me personally. like I, I infuse it with like, whatever other emotions I have because of what I want people to feel. But there's times and places. There are times and places. I can words. There are times and places where the anger is very important and very much needs to come out. So it's not it's not dichotomous. Sometimes they they go hand in hand.
1: I have I have one more question for everyone. Um, what is one book that you've read that is um, that either helped channel your anger and they were like yeah like and and it made you really think or something that when you're just so angry at the world or just so angry about something that you can pick up and read and it just is delightful that brings you like you had a bad day and you just are like i'm gonna just read this book because you know what i fucking need it lp
3: not exactly in the way that you're thinking it, but the fifth season, like I can latch into the anger in that book mm-hmm. and, and then my anger is less because I'm feeling the anger of the character. And then when I close the book,
1: it's still in the book. I love it. Brent, do you have any?
4: Oh, wait, run are the question back again. Sorry. No
1: problem. Um, like, do you have any, like, go-to, like, stories that you love to read when either it, like, channels your anger or that you're just, like, really angry or just having, like, a tough day that you go to and read and be like, you know what? I need something that is going to channel that anger or uplift you or make you laugh.
0: I don't,
4: actually. And that's kind of now that, I'm, now that I say it that loud, man, I'm like, damn, I should. But I really don't. I don't know. I'm just like, I like to, I have like comfort shows, but I don't have like a comfort book, I think. Well, so
1: let's talk about your comfort shows because that's still storytelling.
4: Okay. So before Netflix robbed me of it, Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood used to be like one of my comfort shows. I would watch a lot to, if I was pissed off about something or if I just needed like something creative to, to make me pull out of a slump, that would be one of my shows. Um, actually, I, we were talking about it before the show, but like Dragon Prince is one of those shows for me too, actually, where it's like, it's, it's Avatar The Last Airbender is one of those shows for me. It's like those shows that like, I guess they all have that common factor of having like, you know, these, um, these young people who haven't quite given up hope
0: about things yet.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, Marshall,
0: so I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going cheat. to say, well, I mean, not cheat, but, um, yeah, cheat, cheater. So authors, if I'm going to go to books, uh, I re- literally today read a John Scalzi short story that had me dying. Like his writing just makes me fucking laugh. And I, and I, and I, I just, I don't know if, if I'm going to go to an author, that I know has the voice that's gonna make me laugh. I'll go with that. But Futurama, love Futurama. But I personally, I go to podcasts. There's certain ones I can listen to over and over again. There's certain podcast networks I love. Mostly Australian comedians just sitting around fucking talking to their friends and and having a good time. And it makes me. I need to laugh if I'm angry. So that's what I do.
1: Nice. Nick stories or something. Ah,
0: guys I'm a
2: video game person uh I love games and I like so for reading wise in high school it was Harry Potter got me through some weird emotions with my family and stuff like that at the time where although I had a family I identified with Potter a lot and how he was treated and so it really worked for me at the time um however I don't read those anymore but video games is really where it's at for me. Um, or so video games. I love getting into a, a good fantasy adventure game. I gain lost in missions, doing things to people that I'm not allowed to do in real life because they are bad and in a video game, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, as far as reading goes, Terry Brooks and the in the, the world that Terry Brooks has built with Shannara has been really, really good. Um, in my early twenties, uh, that I remember from that. Nowadays, uh, I mean, video games.
1: Amazing! All right, everyone. Well, thank you what, so what much. What about you? Will? What about you, Will? Oh. Um,
0: <laughs> you know, we like to make you answer your own questions. You don't have to. No, no, For no. Our- yes, we do.
1: What? Uh, what stories? God, there's a couple actually. Um Clive Barker's The Thief of Always. It's, it's dark, a little twisted, but I love the ending. Um, and an old book um by Christopher Pike called Um Sati, which was about a girl who said she was God. And by the end of the story, you start to really question, was she? That's all I'm going to say about it. Um, there's there's some things that are a little problematic about it because it, some of it hasn't aged as well. Um, but I think the heart of the story about what makes something or someone divine is a really thought-provoking question. So... Um, That's all we have for today, and I'll see you guys again on our next episode of 102 of Just Keep Writing.
0: (laughs) And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.